Welcome to The Spin Cycle. I'm Maggie Sarachek. And I'm Abby Greenberg. And together we are the Anxiety Sisters. sisters and welcome to our show. Today we're hanging out with Donald Altman, psychotherapist, award-winning writer of more than 15 books, international workshop trainer, former Buddhist monk, and past vice president of the Center for Mindful Eating. He was featured as an expert in the mindfulness movie and is currently profiled in the Living Spiritual Teachers Project. For many years he taught as an adjunct professor at Lewis and Clark Graduate School of Education and Counseling and at Portland State University, and he is joining us from Oregon. Welcome to our show, Donald. We're so glad you could join us. Oh, well, thanks, Abs and Mags. Great to be here, and um, I'm excited to talk with you about mindfulness. Oh, we are excited, too. So the first thing we usually do is we ask about a little bit about what your story is, and you have a particularly interesting story because you used to be a Buddhist monk, and so we wanted to sort of know what attracted you to Buddhism and mindfulness, how you got to that place? Mm. Well, uh, thank you for asking that. I actually had been uh, very interested in, uh, just very interested in spiritual things, and I don't know why that was a pull to me, but I had many years ago enjoyed reading about Krishnamurti and and, uh, Vivekananda, different Hindu oriented uh, teachers. But one day I was going, um, a friend of mine actually said, I think there's a monk you should meet. And I was going through a kind of a difficult time in my life at that period. Anyway, I met this monk. He was a Buddhist monk and uh, he was a uh, a monk from Burma. And he had come here as an elderly monk. He was known as a well-known teaching monk around the U.S. His name was Uthilananda. And I sensed in him, I just felt a palpable sense of compassion and availability, something I really hadn't uh, noticed. You know, growing up in Chicago as I did, uh, people like that weren't standing around the street corners, obviously. (laughs) But I was struck by his presence and his sense of compassion that I could feel. And I remember thinking at the time, how did he become like that? And it was uh, some time later that... Uh, things worked out that I found out he was uh, going to be at a monastery and, and that I could ordain with him for a period of time with him as the teacher. And and it was wonderful because what I learned was that the the favorite thing that he loved teaching was the loving kindness meditation. And oh, wow. yeah, I was able to hear how he taught it. And it was such a beautiful way, I think, of developing that sense of compassion that he had. And it's it's funny because I remember when a before I went in the monastery, I lived in California at the time. I was in a beach community. And when I would walk from my apartment over to the grocery store, there was a woman who, uh, you know, had a shopping cart. She was a homeless person. And I remember uh, at the time, this is before I went in the monastery, I used to think, wow, it, you know, these homeless people, they're coming into you know, our community now. What can we do about it? I didn't have a lot of compassion for her, really. I Well, I think I felt badly that she was in that situation. But uh, after coming out of the monastery, I got to know her, actually, and you know, I did what I could to help her a little bit. But uh, she 
actually lived in the community herself and came upon hard times. And it really was interesting how my own view shifted after being in the monastery and coming out and getting to know her story and seeing that, you know, the people that we think are maybe so different from us are really just people who have suffered or struggled in, in ways that could happen to any of us, actually. <laughs> so that was a, a powerful lesson for me. Coming Going into that monastery uh, really shifted a lot of the ways that I viewed things. And even uh, eating was something that I had uh, been an emotional eater most of my life. And But going in the monastery, I uh, got to experience food in a very different way. And I left the monastery and actually I started doing work around mindful eating. And later um, people would come up to me when I was doing workshops on that, about the spiritual side of eating. And they'd kind of whisper to me at the end of the workshop, you know, I have this uh, uh, anorexia problem or this bulimia problem. And I and so I went back to school and became a psychotherapist so I could work with them in a more clinical way. Oh, wow. Not just, okay. Yeah, not just with the spiritual side of food. And so it was really interesting. Uh, I actually worked in an eating disorder clinic for over four years. And I never could have imagined that going into the, into the monastery would have turned my life in such a direction. And I'm very grateful for that because even though I was only in the monastery for a period of time uh, and I've continued to do work with uh, different teachers afterwards and actually work with the monks after I left but I uh, am just very grateful I couldn't have predicted that that experience would have turned my life in such a different uh, down a different pathway so I think it's something something for all of us to uh, be open to this practice of getting present and looking at suffering and that once we begin to understand it, it can um, change our life in a, a dramatic way. So I think in your introduction, you mentioned that I've moved into doing a lot of training for other psychotherapists and retreats that I do around the country for individuals. And my latest work is kind of a culmination of a lot of the things that I've done is uh, a book called Reflect, Awaken to the Wisdom of the Here and Now. Uh, and I say it's a culmination of the work that I've done because I've come to understand uh, that uh, it, we're more distracted than ever before as a culture. Mm -hmm. and, and we're on the go all the time and our minds can get spinning. We're a mental culture anyway. We're kind of stuck up in our heads. As that spinning accelerates, we need to kind of be the master of technology, let, not let it become our master. And when it becomes our master, it tends to, in some ways, minimize our ability to get into the present moment, and, and which is very important. So the book's called Reflect, so that we can reflect throughout the day. And in terms of brain science, that works very well because it allows us to pause. And by pausing and getting present, kind of these microbursts of awareness, right? Right. And, and in that moment, you can gain a sense of clarity against a sense of peace, against a sense of calm, come back to your wholeness. You know, the original meaning of the word mindfulness, the Sanskrit word is sati, S-A-T-I, and the original meaning for mindfulness was self-recollection and self-remembrance. So when we get fragmented, right, and throughout our day, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're stressed, when you're feeling anxious, and I know you call yourselves to the anxiety sisters, so you know about how to 
Okay. <laughs> well, thing is true about anxiety. That's uh, yes. Yeah. We, we like to tell people we have the patent. Yeah. <laughs> so when that happens, we need to kind of uh, bring those fragmented parts back and become whole again. And so that's how I think of reflection. And I think it's a wonderful tool, not just for bringing ourselves back to wholeness, but then extending that wholeness out to others who are around us in our environment and bringing compassion out into the world. One thing that you really um, just drove home to me that I hadn't totally put together before, you know, I, I always thought, this is Mags, by the way, but I always thought that there are all these corrosive elements to social media and some good elements to social media. But mm -hmm. one thing that I realized is that when we're on social media and looking at, at sort of other people's lives, it's not so much that we're always jealous of other people's lives or this or that. It's more that we're not in our present in our own life. Mm, wonderful insight. Yeah. And, and it's a way that I didn't have growing up because I didn't have social media. So, you know, there wasn't always a way to escape my life and look, be looking at someone else's life. It is very hard to stay present in your own experience because you're watching everyone else's experience. And it, and it can create comparison with others also. Right. Uh, and even if you're yeah. not doing that, you're yeah. still not in your place. Do you know what I mean? You're still not present in your own life because you're, you're, you're even if you're happy, you're watching your friend, you know, on their vacation in Paris or whatever, okay. even if you're not doing the comparisons, you're not wherever you are. Right. I mean, I'm not wherever I am, I'm there. Yeah, and that's one of the, you really touched upon something that is very much a part of mindfulness, which is not just being present, but participating. How do right. we participate in our lives instead of just watching? You know, we have become kind of a, uh, a culture where we watch a lot of things, right? Yeah. We're watching uh, TV, we're watching sporting events, whatever. But we can participate once we get present, right? And we start to notice even maybe our own strengths and we bring those out into the world. You know, I think that just even noticing your own strengths is a beautiful spiritual practice. Your strengths, I'm, I'm just feeling is hospitality. Here, you're so hospitable to me as a guest on your show and you're very welcoming. And so that's a strength actually, but a lot of times we don't notice our strengths, but to bring your strengths, even just name one of your strengths and to bring that out into the world one time a day can help you participate and feel that you're, you're making a difference in some way. Yeah, we agree. But, when Mags and I do workshops, we, do, uh, we teach a part called learn your superpowers. Oh, that's wonderful. It's the same, it's the same idea, the, yeah. the notion that you have to stop and reflect on what parts of you are really superpowers. And, you know, mm. we've, people say to us, I don't have any. And there has not been one person that we've <laughs> been able to find a superpower in. Even when they come to us and say, I don't have any superpowers, there's always something. It's just it, some people have them buried so deeply, they haven't, they haven't looked at them in so long, or they don't recognize I, them. And so it, it is a really powerful experience. Oh, yeah. I make sure I tell people, you know, when you're able to go back and find your car in the parking lot at the end of the workshop, that's the strength of memory. Mm, and not a strength that I <laughs> have, which is why I have one of those special alarm buttons that I can push so my car starts screaming. Well, that's the strength of knowing where the button is. <laughs> <laughs> knowing what you need. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I, you know, my background is in communication. I, I was a professor of communication for 27 years, and my area of expertise was in how talk works, especially self-talk. Very interested in that. And so we have worked with people on creating mantras for themselves, often incorporating their strengths so that they can remind themselves on a daily basis, you know, this is something that I celebrate about myself. Oh, absolutely. I, I did a lot of mantra work, actually, after I left the monastery working with one of the monks where I was doing mantras about three hours a day. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, it was, and it was very incredible work for me. And it's funny, I, I think that it's also good for people to know, even as you're doing this work, there are times you get frustrated. You say, why am I doing this? Or this is hard, or you're distracted to something else. But eventually, it, be, it kind of becomes part of you. And it gets easier in the sense that it um, becomes more natural. Right, so it's, like a, it's like a practice yeah. anything else. Like you practice the piano, yeah. it's easier to play. You know, it is a practice. A absolutely, yeah. It does take time. We're not uh, naturally just wired to do it automatically. And we always tell people that it can feel really awkward in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, know I, I, I have some mantras that I say every single morning when I wake up. That's sort of my meditative practice. And uh, yeah. I actually recorded my own voice saying the mantras. And I play it in the background uh, because I, in the research that I've done uh, and, and I've read has shown that the most powerful voice in your head is your own. Mm. So I, I, I make myself listen to my own voice, which, you know, that's a terrifying <laughs> ordeal to begin with. But I, it, the first, you know, five or six times I did it, it was so hard to hear my own voice. But it's interesting that now, after doing it for a long time, I really welcome that voice. And I think of that voice as my guide. That's like my guiding yeah. voice. Oh, it's, it's so helpful. That, that's wonderful. You know, it's one of the things I like to talk about, actually, too, is how do we make friends with our mind? Mm. Yeah. Especially in, the, in this time when, you know, you've talked a lot about, um, you know, with the advent of computers and technology, how we're all sped up. In fact, I think you've used the word splintered and fractured, which I think is just the most brilliant yeah. way to describe how we are, which is one of the reasons we call our podcast The Spin Cycle. Because we all feel like we're in the washing machine all the time. <laughs> just oh, yeah. And, and exhausted when you get done with your day from just being pulled in so many directions. Um, how, do you, how do you think that's affected our mental health as, as a culture? I think there's over, I've read over 40 million people with some kind of anxiety uh, issue and over 25 million with some depression, rumination. I mean, these are clinical yes. uh, depression and anxiety. So as a culture, there's no question that we need to learn how to create some uh, constructive space or distance from our thoughts. Uh, there's even been research that shows that it's normal to have distressing thoughts throughout the day. Uh, but some, because those thoughts are coming from in our own head, like you were saying, you know that voice, right? <laughs> you, mm -hmm. take, you take it very seriously. So what I like to do is to have people just think about for a moment about how many thoughts we can have in the course of a day. And and it's been estimated if we, you know, if you have 15 to 20 thoughts per minute, which is uh, probably a pretty average amount, uh, that's about 20,000 thoughts in the course of a day. How many of those thoughts tell you something really profound about who you are, right? How many of those 20,000 thoughts are accurate thoughts or um, maybe conditioned thoughts, habitual thoughts, toxic mm -hmm. thoughts? reactive thoughts, but sometimes we grab onto those thoughts or we identify with those thoughts. One of the wonderful 
aspects of a mindfulness and meditation practice are to help us um, start to observe and notice the contents of our mind, start to really understand what is the nature of the mind and what's it, what it's creating so that we can not get triggered by all of those thoughts or get into the spin cycle. Even just taking a breath, stepping off the train. That's what we love so much about your book. It's, oh, um, it, you know, it has like a guided journal feel to it, but but actually it also has it, it has the feel from a clinical perspective of it, like it's a rewirer. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Your like brain, yeah, a yeah, brain rewirer. Rewire your brain. It's it's very meditative. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how you decided to do this book. I really did this book because I I felt that today we don't have the time to go to retreats. It's a luxury. It's wonderful if you can go to a retreat, but many people don't have that ability or the the capability of taking off that time, or even uh, just sitting for an hour at a time is difficult. So I wanted to create something that I knew could rewire the brain and get us into a deeper awareness and break some old patterns, shatter some ways that we might habitually see ourselves or see others. So some of these readings are gently provocative, and they're intended to do that, to kind of break us out of some of our mindsets but in a very gentle and also often sometimes humorous way. Yeah, I just want to, I want to stop you for a second. I just want to tell our listeners um, who have not yet looked at your book that this is a series of, of reflections. There's about 108 of them. Is that right, Donald? Right, right. And what, what I love is that it, the con table of contents are divided into groups. So you have like the beginning group is, is simplicity and peace. And then you have nature and relationships and love and laughter, bliss, transformation and wisdom. So you can really pick and choose based on your mood. And I've really been having such a wonderful experience with this book. I just, what I do is I just let it fall open to whatever page. And then that's the reflection that I think about. That's I read what I like to do. Yeah. I, I, that's my way of using the book and just opening it's it up. Really wonderful. And we've done a, a podcast with a, um, an expert on meditation using breath. And I think that this book reflect is another form of meditation. That was the intent of it is to make it a meditative book. So there's a little, there's that short reading and then there are three prompts which are, yeah. again, very targeted prompts. You can think of them as either reflections, prompts, questions, and even a practice at the end. And there's space for journaling. But they're designed to get you thinking, uh, uh, reflecting more deeply. So how can we untie those old karmic knots, <laughs> right, and the old ways that maybe we've gotten constricted or tense or tightened? That as you start to do this more and more, and you're breaking the old pattern of being overwhelmed and stressed, and you pause and you do this. I actually call it uh, purr like a cat, P-R-R-R, which is pause, reflect, relate, repeat. Well, that's great. Pause, reflect, relate, repeat. I love it. Right. And that way you can, you can purr like a cat and not bark like a dog. That's that great. Really, that's great, especially those of us who have cats, and I have two of them. A, purr, <laughs> a purring cat. Just right. a cat is very meditative in and of itself. <laughs> so so that, that, it has a nice double meeting. Um, do you happen to have your copy near you? Yeah, your yes, book? I do. Would you be willing to read one of one of our favorite reflections? It's on page 40. Oh, okay. It's the one about being a sense being. I love that one. Oh, okay. Great. Oh, that's great. I'm going to read this, and then 
I'll have people just, can I have people just sit and pause with that and let it sink in? And then I'll go through the three prompts or questions. Absolutely, absolutely. Great. You are a sense being, not a thought being. So why be stuck in your head with all those random intrusive thoughts? How many of today's thoughts tell you something really profound about who you are? Instead, drop into the body and come home. Feel your feet on the floor. Notice the brilliant colors around you. Listen to the sound of your breath. Taste your first food of the day. Smell the sweet air. Be a full sense being today. Reflect on this. So we can just sit with that for a moment. Again, noticing, you know, pressing your feet in the floor, feeling yourself supported by the ground, supported by a chair if you're in one, and also feeling rooted, connected as well. Noticing the colors, maybe even finding one of your favorite colors in your surroundings. Just listen to the sound of your breath. Feel the rhythm of the, of the breath for a moment here. Even if you're not tasting food right now, just taste whatever flavor is in the mouth naturally at this moment. Smell the sweet air. So at any moment, we have all these wonderful sense abilities, superpowers <laughs> that we can utilize. So let me read these reflections. How and where do you notice or bear witness to the body's natural sensations? When you lose awareness of those senses, how do you come back home? And I really like to think of the body as being a home, a place we can return to a safe haven. Mm. Breathe into your body's center, wherever you sense it. It might be the chest, the abdomen, the heart center. How can you use this daily practice of finding the center to invite, invite greater ease, peace, and balance? Donald, can I ask you a question? Um, we have a lot of people who are PTSD sufferers in our community. So a lot of people maybe have experienced sexual abuse, physical uh -huh. abuse, all, all types of things. And so what if the body, you know, for those people, the body doesn't feel like a safe place. Mm. Like they've experienced a lot of trauma in their body. How do they how do they go about using some of this? What I would do for a practice like this is I would maybe just rub your palms together very gently. And that is a very wonderful grounding practice in and of itself. There's something empowering about, about that, just feeling the heat between the hands, bringing the palms together. And why this works so well is in terms of brain science, there's more brain real estate devoted to the hands than any other part of the body. So I would maybe do something like that. Interesting. Really interesting. There's another wonderful nugget from Reflect. I don't remember which page it's on, but you say, an acorn cannot grow into a palm tree no matter how hard it tries. And to me, that really brought out the notion of authenticity and owning one's own story and how not being the authentic you or striving to be something that you're not meant to be is really anxiety provoking. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people, one of the main causes of their anxiety is that they've been told to be the palm tree, even though they're the acorn. 
or they're in their own mind. They think they should be something they're not. Sometimes social media really can, can make this even harder. But we, we've talked to so many women, particularly women, but some men too, about how hard it is to be your authentic self right now in this world of distraction and fragmentation. I just love that notion that no matter how hard an acorn tries, and an acorn is a beautiful thing. Right. In and of itself, but it can't be a palm tree. I think so many of us are chasing things. We're trying to be things that we're not. Yeah, and if you're trying to be that uh, palm tree and you happen to be an oak tree, you're going to be very unhappy. <laughs> I think it's also that in so many different areas, there's so many messages for women in particularly, but also for men in, in different areas about, you know, for women, it might be about what we should look like or how, should we, how we should act or how much space we're supposed to take up. And for men, it's a different set of criterion and expectations. It's much more achievement oriented. Yeah. And so I think part of this is also is becoming aware of what those pressures are and then finding what do you want to nurture in yourself? What is most important to you and finding what that is. That requires, I think, some, some courage on people's part to say, okay, this is who I am and to be okay with that. But I like that Reflect addresses that in, in more than one place. I think that's really powerful and really helpful for alleviating anxiety. All right, so this week in our community, we're, we're talking a lot about the freeze response, you know, fight, flight, or freeze. Some anxiety sisters, when they're experiencing panic or, or acute anxiety, they just get paralyzed. And they, and they really can't move, either literally or figuratively. So I was just wondering, what do you recommend in terms of mindfulness practices to help people move out of that freeze mode and maybe re-engage? Well, I think when you're in the freeze mode, you're acting out of that more reactive part of the brain. It's called the amygdala. That is almost like the smoke detector in the brain. And that smoke detector can hyper uh, arouses our system, actually. And what we need to do to quiet that down is utilize the part of the brain that's behind the eyebrow ridge. And that is the prefrontal cortex. I call it the reflect part of the brain, the reflect module, because it really is the part of the brain that is the most human part of the brain. It can also help us name and quiet our anxiety. So what I would do is I would name, what are you feeling in that moment? What is the emotion I'm feeling? And if you can give it a name, the actual prefrontal cortex, that, that area behind the eyebrow ridge, sends a signal that it quiets down the reactive part of the brain. It kind of integrates the brain from the top down because that amygdala, that emotional part of the brain is an older part of the brain, something that's shared by all mammals, but it's a response that's supposed to help us for survival. But sometimes it needs to be recalibrated. It's like an alarm that goes off too easily. Yeah, <laughs> and we say it's trigger happy. Yeah, it gets trigger happy. So you need to use the prefrontal cortex, name the feeling. And then what I would do is I would move, maybe do some short mindful walking. And that can uh, shift awareness, just noticing everything that's around you, noticing the body moving. So you're actually mentally setting the intention to take a step with your right foot. And then you're observing what is it like as the foot raises up, the knee moves forward, the foot steps down, the body shifts the weight. Then you mentally set the intention to take the next step and you're observing everything again. And when you're very present with that, because we're giving the mind a job actually, right? We're having it be busy, but we're also having it notice everything. What I call the in-between moments, those ordinary little moments all around you. And this is a form of reflecting in the present moment. So I think anybody feeling 
frozen or if you're feeling stuck, that this can help you uh, kind of lubricate yourself again and get moving. That's really helpful. Thank you. So I wanted to tell you that we actually have been following you um, and reading your work for a few years. I think I, maybe it was five years ago when we read the Mindfulness Toolbox. Oh, wonderful. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, that's actually how I, I knew who you were. It was back from, it was like 2015 or something or 2014. Yeah. Um, anyway, I just want to say that that is a, I'm going to plug it for a second. That's a gold mine, that book. It's called The Mindfulness Toolbox. It's it's actually, I mean, I know how it's designed for clinicians, but it really is great for sufferers too, because there's some wonderful exercises. But what I particularly love about that book is you have some great visualization exercises in there. Can you talk for a minute about how that technique works to promote mindfulness? Yeah. So here's the thing. The brain doesn't know the difference between whether you're doing something or just vividly imagining it. Okay. And so sometimes what I'll have people do is to uh, like after lunch in a workshop and I want to get people energized again, and by the way, this would be another one. I didn't think of it, but this would be excellent for getting people moving. If you're feeling frozen to do a visualization like this. So what I'll have people do for 90 seconds is just to picture an activity that you love, some physical activity that you have done in the past that made you feel joyful. So this could be, maybe it's bike riding, maybe it was taking a jog, maybe it's walking among the redwoods, maybe it was swimming, whatever it is, vividly picturing yourself doing that. Now what will happen is that I've had people, actually their respiration changes, their heartbeat, this is their reporting to me, they'll say, oh, my heartbeat sped up when I was doing that, I was breathing faster, maybe they were pictured themselves dancing or whatever it was. And after 90 seconds, boy, they're energized, <laughs> right? Wow, that's and great. So, yeah. So, uh, so let me ask you this. So if I don't want to go to the gym in the morning, can I visualize myself doing the Stairmaster for 45 minutes so I don't actually have to do it? Well, <laughs> you'll get some benefit off of it. I don't know if you would get the same benefit of actually going to the gym, but it might get you to go to the gym. It's funny because I've actually had people in the workshops who said, well, I want to go outside now and, and, and take a run because I've started in my brain and now I just want to complete it. Mm -hmm. So mm. it's probably a good way to uh, actually get started. Well, Donald, thank you so much for taking time out of your really busy schedule to chat with us. We and our sisterhood are really grateful and so lucky that you came and we are really well, excited you. about your new book. Well, it's great to have been here. Thank you so much. And I appreciate the work that you're doing. And uh, uh, again, thanks for having me on the show. And I, I, maybe we can do this again sometime. Once again, the title is Reflect. And the author is Donald Altman, A-L-T-M-A-N. We have a special offer just for our Anxiety Sisterhood and our podcast listeners. If you go to Donald's publisher, which is Pesi.com, P-E-S-I.com. The book is normally $15, but if you use the code Reflect Sisters, you get it for $10. I have to tell you another thing about this book. It has a really beautiful cover. I mean, it's just this really pretty image of a mountain and a lake, like the reflection of the mountain and the lake. It Just looking at the book makes you feel better. So I highly recommend it. It's a great gift, and it's great just to give yourself a little self-care treat. Remember that Pesi.com and you can learn more about Donald and his work if you visit his website at mindfulpractices.com. And you can sign up for his newsletter even.
And there's also a Reflect community on Facebook, which if you it's it's under mindfulness without the I. So it's spelled M-N-D-F-U-L-N-E-S-S. We are going to post all of this on the show notes, so you can just click on links. But once again, thank you to Donald Altman for giving us his time and his wisdom and telling us a lot about the power of reflection. So Abs, would you mind telling everyone what we've been up to? We have been up to so much. Very exciting summer for us. From the feedback we got from our first e-course, Stop the Spinning, we ran a couple of them in the late spring and we got great feedback. And so now we are working on a bigger and better e-course called Anxiety Rescue, which we hope will be coming out in September. So we'll also be doing a free webinar for the whole community, all 101,000 of us. And the webinar is totally free. Yeah, so so follow our Facebook page or check out our website for details as the summer starts to wind down. And we will keep reminding you on the spin cycle and through social media. We will keep reminding you. You can, of course, find us on Facebook under Anxiety Sisters on Instagram at the Anxiety Sisters and on our website at anxietysisters.com. And as always, if you have any questions, feedback, ideas for our podcast, email us at absandmags at anxietysisters.com or just click that email button on our Facebook or on our website. And we promise we will respond to all the emails we get, even if it takes longer than it used to. You know, give us a few days at least. Yeah, yeah. There's still only the two of us, and uh, we're getting now about a close to 200 emails a week. So we're doing our right. best. Right. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, anxiety sisters, don't go it alone. You're listening to The Spin Cycle, an Anxiety Sisters production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.